Welcome to another year of Thrive, your agency resource. So to kick things off for 2019, we've got a great discussion for you today, um, all about applied empathy for agencies. And my guest is Michael Ventura, CEO and founder of Subrosa, uh, probably one of the most sought after strategy and design firms in the country. And Michael has actually recently authored his first book called Applied Empathy. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. Welcome, Michael. I'm really, really grateful to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. So let's dive into this a little bit. Um, I really like that you start out with the book saying, you know, let's be transparent about this. People think of empathy as this squishy word, right? And it's the yeah. perfect word for exactly what people have the stigma around empathy for. Um, so just to kind of set some context, what is empathy really in terms of life and business? Yeah, it's, it's a great question to start with because I think empathy is often very misconstrued, right? Some people hear it and it triggers sympathy or compassion or being nice to people. And, uh, and what I often tell people is that those are all side effects of empathy, but they aren't empathy unto itself. And really what empathy is for me is a self-aware perspective taking of someone else in order to gain richer and deeper understanding. And I say self-aware because we have to have some awareness for our own biases mm -hmm. and our own ways of thinking and being and doing. Otherwise, when we go try to take perspective of someone else, we're clouding it with some of our own baggage, right? So it does require a little bit of some interior evaluation in order to be a good empath because you have to know, no, that's just me talking as opposed to I'm aware that's me talking. I'm stepping outside of that. And now I can really see it from your vantage. Yeah. And it's the, probably the hardest thing for human beings to do, you know, is to have that self-awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's not something that is like you get it and then it's good forever. It's something it's a practice, right? Much yeah. like empathy is. And I, I often say it's like a, uh, it's like a muscle you train, right? The more you work it out, the more you use empathy, the more depth you get with it. Um, but if you don't, use empathy often, it starts to atrophy just like anything else. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about the applied empathy origin story. Um, how did you really come to develop these like empathetic archetypes and the whole self within the whole applied empathy methodology for your agency? Yeah, so I've been running Sub Rosa or a version of under a different banner for 15 years, right? So this is this has been a, a, a long process in the making about Six years ago, our team came together and we said, is there really any special sauce, right? Like, are we just, you know, a, a good shop who can do good work? Or is there something actually under the hood that makes us different or that makes us differentiated or unique or what have you? And so we made a commitment to become our own best client. And so we actually built a project team around this and we said, let's go investigate this like we would any other problem for a client. And let's see if there's something really there. And what we came to find as we started to look at the work that we flagged as some of our best projects, uh, as well as some of the work that we flagged as some of our less successful work, we said, well, what was happening in the, in the successful stuff and what wasn't happening in the unsuccessful stuff? And as we started to look at that, we realized it was when empathy was being employed, when we were really making an effort to understand whomever it was we were solving the problem for, that the work was great. And when we got a little on our high horse and we're like, we know best and like, you know, and, and that's a tendency of every design. Absolutely. You know, like, oh, they don't know anything. We, we have the answer. That work never did as well. 
And so we came around to this idea of empathy and and we asked ourselves, well, what about that is meaningful or helping us? And what we realized was it isn't just empathy unto itself because empathy unto itself is inherently passive. I could, I could have a lot of empathy for you. I could understand you deeply, but do nothing different with the way I engage with you or the way we work together. And so it, what's the point, right? So, so it, it was in the application of empathy that things really started to switch on. So we created a, uh, a talk, like a 45-minute talk, and I went out and started giving it in different industry events, and I got invited to go down to Princeton University and give it there, and came off the stage, and the dean of the engineering school was there, and she said, I think that this is exactly what we've been looking for, for our entrepreneurship, computer science, mechanical engineering track, uh, and that we think empathy would be a really valuable skill to teach in that program. Would you create a 12-week curriculum and teach it down here? And so we said yes, uh, because we didn't know any better, and we didn't <laughs> entail, and we started to teach the class. And in doing that, because you've got 12 weeks, and because you've got Ivy League undergrads who are gonna kick the tires on everything you say, um, we had to start really thinking about methodologically, what are some of the things we could develop that let you sink your teeth into it a little bit more? Because if it stays up at 10,000 feet, it's hard to really embody it. Yeah. And so we created first these uh, seven archetypes. And the archetypes were designed to help people realize that there are a lot of ways of eliciting understanding. There's not just like this, you hear empathy, say, oh, be more empathic. Okay, well, if you don't understand empathy, how are you going to do that, right? right. So we, we gave them these different archetypes to play with. So an example is a, uh, they all have sort of different names. So like one is the convener. A convener's behavior, the way they get understanding, the way they get information, is by creating the circumstances that people will convene around in order to share. So they, they know how to set the room, how to set the tone, how to host, how to sort of be a good facilitator, how to kind of create all of the, the soft science around an interaction so that people can drop in and feel comfortable and be willing to talk to you in a way that maybe they otherwise wouldn't, right? Just so, open up. Exactly. Yeah. So like a good convener knows how to do that. And that's the way they get at empathy. A confidant is a great listener. A inquirer is a great question asker. You know, there's all these, we have seven of them, right? And what we tell people is you are all seven in unequally distributed ways. Mm. Right? So it's not like a Myers-Briggs where you're an ENFP and I'm something else. It's we are actually all, all seven, but we have to learn our strengths and weaknesses. Right. And when we start to do that, and I learn, you know, I'm really good at these two, but I'm actually pretty shitty at these two, then I can focus on playing to my strengths, but also improving my weaknesses a bit. For sure. Um, so one of the things that I thought about when I was reading through all of that was, I'm curious, like, as so you take your own agency on as a client, right? You develop this whole system. How influential do you think your own work in mindfulness and self-development and, and, you know, just inner self-work how influential do you think that that was in creating this whole methodology? It played a role for sure. I mean, I have since my 20s been very wrapped up in self-work and in have I went on the buffet line and tried literally every, <laughs> everything you could. Right. And and like any good buffet, you go back for seconds for the things you like. Yep. Right. And so there were certain things that I tried and I was like, cool, get it. Not my thing. Um, and then there were others that were more meaningful for me. And so as we sat down to build Applied Empathy, a lot of that ancestral wisdom came into that process. And I'm you know, pretty 
candid about it when people say like, oh, it's amazing. You guys created this whole thing. And I said, we didn't actually create anything. We just kind of repackaged right. a, lot, a lot of stuff that is already in the world into a format that is now in a systems thinking, design thinking mode right. or model. Right. Um, so, yeah. Just kind of like, like took Sub Rosa and did what you did for other clients and just basically repackaged it in a way that people could could understand and could really digest and, and that's right. meaningful so it, it makes sense yeah i mean like a, a quick example of that is so the other uh, thing you asked about a moment ago was the the whole self right yeah. and so you have seven aspects of the self those are based on in chinese medicine there there are three dantians right there are three places that we store we store our 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 life force and we sort of work with energy right and so we looked at those we looked at chakras we looked at um how kant talked about the self and how jung talked about the self and you know we looked at all of that sort of stuff and we said okay there's there's nuggets in all of this that makes yeah. sense yeah. but we talk about it like i just did in the past 30 seconds it's going to scare a lot of people off right. because it's going to sound woo woo and it's going to sound new age or it's going to sound too academic. Yep. And we didn't need more of that. What we needed was practicality. And so we kind of re we took what worked for that and we reapplied it in a way that would make a strategy and design practice find its utility. Right. And I think that's probably why I personally resonated with the books, like beyond anything you can imagine, because that has sort of been my path as well, kind of exploring Eastern medicine and then getting into mindfulness. So I understood that. But what you said is really important, because if people don't resonate with that, if that's not their, been their journey or their history, they're not going to get it. So, you know, taking this spin on it and, you know, I just thought it was really, really brilliant. And one of the things that came out of that was this whole deck of Q&E cards. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about that and maybe share one of your favorite applications or stories about how that was implemented? Yeah, for sure. So Q&E, Questions and Empathy, uh, is a deck of 49 cards that we developed. And the initial thinking for it was, how do we create a gateway drug for empathy, right? <laughs> how, do we, how do we create like the, that's my sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, how do we create this thing that will let people trial it and, and feel safe playing with it? And so 49 questions in the deck, there are seven archetypes and there are seven aspects of the whole self. Right. Seven times seven is 49. So what you get is for each archetype, let's say the convener, there is a convener question that corresponds to the physical self. There's a convener question that corresponds to the mindful self and so on and so forth, right? And so what we wanted to do was create a way to kind of poke at all of those different overlaps between the interior empathy and the exterior empathy and give someone an opportunity to really play in that space. So the cards are a permission granting tool in many ways. If someone walks up to you at a bar and you know, sits down next to you and looks at you and says, tell me about one time you failed. You're like, who's this creep? And like, mm -hmm. why are we going so deep so fast? Right. But if the card asks the question where it's, there's a third party at play, right? right? It's like, Oh, okay. Like you're not being creepy. The, the card is just probing deeper than I would ordinarily let social graces that allow affects, for. Right. So let's go and do it. Right. And so we've used the cards in a couple contexts. Um, I'll tell you two quick anecdotes. One is, uh, I got this one. This is like the, the warm and fuzzy one. So I get a, uh, a note from a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco, had been dating a woman for a while. They were driving down to L.A., down Highway 1. They were on like, you know, a long road trip for the weekend. And they took the deck of cards with them. 
And I get a text message with a photo of both of them. And she's got mascara running down her face and his eyes are like bright red and puffy. And they're pulled off in like Big Sur somewhere on Highway 1. Um, and he's like, we just like level jumped our relationship in the past three hours riding the car with these cards because these are kinds of questions that social graces often don't let us ask or, or that don't that don't feel always appropriate to poke and prod into even with someone you're close with like 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 a significant other and like that just like that made me feel like there was some alchemy at work in these cards that was doing a good thing another example uh that is in in a different context is that actually next week i'll be going to run a workshop in uh downtown manhattan here with the 9-11 memorial all of the uh staff who have been working there since it opened because one of the things that their team has learned and they reached out after having read the book was they said, we have a bit of a like sort of empathy challenge here because there's so much emotion that runs through this place every day that we have some people who are like burned out on empathy. We have others that have as a, as a counterpoint to empathy built such a suit of armor that they're not perspective taking at all anymore because that just, it was too much for them. And then we have people who've kind of calibrated the right way. So we'd like to run an hour long session with you in the cards to help people remember that there's multiple ways of being empathic and that, you know, if this is uncomfortable for you, you can try it this way. And if you want to play with empathy in a different context, here's a way to do it. And also a way to bring them all together in one moment where they can share some of the things they've been going through over the past few years running the the memorial. So I'm excited to see how like it plays out on Big Sur's uh, Highway 1 as much as you know, in a context like this, as much as in a boardroom with other execs. And it it kind of resonates in the right way. Right. And I think one of the, the, you know, to add sort of like a third anecdote um, from the book, one day you get, um, uh, you see on your caller ID, the U.S. government, right? And it's a captain from West Point, which is not that far from where I am in Rockland. Um, And he wants you to train the, the army coaches and the cadets um, I'm curious to know, what do you, what do you think, like recalling that experience, what, what do you think was your aha moment between seeing that, you know, answering that phone and kind of getting that challenge coin from um, General Jeb? What was that, that moment for you where you were like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing? It, I mean, it was amazing from the f- first phone call, to be honest, because yeah. I, I never imagined the military wanting more empathy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was blown away when I read that. I was like, what? Yeah, it seems super incongruent. But yeah. then I get there and uh, I'm walking around the base. And the thing that was the most, most abundantly clear, the fastest to me, was that these cadets and the administration there are genuinely wired as lifelong learners. Mm. And they want to skill up in everything. And they want, they want to be really as capable in as many ways as possible. More so than, way more so, frankly, than the, uh, the interactions we had at Princeton. And no knock against Princeton, you know, but, like, but those students were in, in their path and their track very vertical mm-hmm. at, the, at the sacrifice of some width, some, some real horizontal uh, exploration, right? They, they, they knew what they wanted to be and they dove deep into it. And at West Point, they're a leadership development academy. When you really think about it, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're breeding leaders. And so with is critical 
and just as critical as depth. And so I got to sit down with the coaches. Uh, the coaches actually were first because of just timing and scheduling. So I had, uh, you know, something like 50 or 60 uh, you know, of the of the coaching staff across all the sports sitting in a room. And, you know, these are athletic coaches at the Army. I mean, <laughs> like you have an archetype that you – and many of them are ex-military themselves. Right. And – I go through, and I, like, and I know what I look like. I mean, I look like my hair's tied back today, but it's even worse usually, right? And I'm walking around campus, and I look like, you know, the, like who let the the hippie on campus? Check them for drugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my ID does get checked quite a bit there. Thankfully. That's awesome. And and so I get up there and I do our you know our initial presentation, and then um, I say, does anyone have any questions? Fifteen hands raised, like simultaneously. Yeah. And everyone was leaning in and asking questions. And how do I use this this way? And could I think about it this way? And blah, 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 blah. And then we donate the, uh, we uh, uh, de uh, de uh, disseminate the cards. And they start having their conversations. And they start using them with each other. And people are laughing. People are giving each other high fives. People are trading cards with each other. Oh, ask yourself that, this one. This is a good one. And I saw in that 90-minute session with those coaches how learning and how self-discovery and how inquiry is such a core part of the DNA of West Point that as, as I went on and then met students or, or cadets, um, other members of the faculty, I actually also got to train 50 uh, career military officers. Um, so three-star, two-star, one-star generals uh, and sit in a room with them. It was the same across everybody, like curious, hungry, desirous of learning, believe empathy is a critical leadership skill uh, and, and wanted more of it. It was amazing. Yeah. Such a cool story. Yeah. Um, so as we start to wrap up a little here, um, I'd love to leave our fellow agency leaders with a little bit of information on one of the ongoing rituals that you've implemented at Subrosa, um, Subrosa Days. And just kind of talk about how important those 12 days per year are to the success of your, your agency. Yeah, sure. So, we had this obvious epiphany, I guess, if that's kind of oxymoronic, but, but it, we, we said, you know, we only have 12 days, uh, we, we only have a finite amount of time in the year, and we spend all of it spending our time on our clients. Couldn't we take a day a month for ourselves? Couldn't we take one day a month to turn the lens inward and look at us? And if we can't spend 12 days a year working on our own business, we're really selling ourselves short. Yeah. So we decided to create Sub Rosa Days, which are sort of like mini on-sites, if you will. Um, there are some things that still have to happen because you know we're in a service business and sometimes someone needs to take a call with a client. Sure. Totally fine. But what we structure into that day are a couple of things. Um, one is always going to be a, a, a workshop where someone from the team will run a workshop in something. It doesn't have to be one-to-one -one relevant to our, our daily work that we do for our clients. Mm -hmm. We've had people do everything from you know, an improv uh, workshop to, um, you know, a whole host of stuff, right? Just kind of flexing your muscles, learning a different skill, playing in a, in a way you haven't played before. Um, we'll always have one presentation. So someone, typically someone who's maybe not uh, getting up in front of clients as much, um, gets an opportunity to really get up and give a 30 or 45 minute keynote on something they're passionate about and share with the team in a way that A, builds them up a little bit as a presenter, but also B, uh, lets them really kind of celebrate something they love. Um, we tend to have uh, a couple breakout sessions to focus on our internal uh, efforts. So, for example, that might be 
updating case studies, right, uh, for our website or credentials deck or credentials decks or um, having a uh, an opportunity to um, onboard new hires who maybe haven't had a chance to go deep with some of the leadership teams since they've started. And so they get an opportunity to like sit in a room with us for uh, an hour and ask questions that they want to know. We also have a thing we call fresh eyes, which is we take everyone who's been here for less than six months and um, and use that as an opportunity to ask them, what are you seeing with your fresh eyes here that we um, that we are probably blind to at this point because we've been here for too long? Right. Because after about six months, you lose that perspective. For sure. So that ritual is something we run every month and it's something that people look forward to. But it's also something I really look forward to as a opportunity to learn more about our business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the reason why I wanted to wrap with that question, because I think that is probably a, a really large gap in most agencies and most agency leaders. They they aspire to have things like that, but, mm -hmm. you know, their own work just gets pushed to the back burner. But you're saying, you know, the takeaway here is don't push it to the back burner. It's only a day per month. And again, try to get 100 percent participation. But if it's 95 or 90, it's fine. The yeah. point is that you're keeping that continuity and you're bringing in fresh perspectives and all of that. Um, so I love that. And I hope that, you know, some agency leaders that are listening and watching today really, really take that to heart. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much, Michael. I really, really appreciate this. This has been awesome. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Same here. Thank you very much. This episode has been brought to you by Workamajig, the number one creative agency management software show notes at thrive.workamajig.com. Find out how your creative agency can become more productive and more profitable. Schedule your demo at thrive.workamajig.com.